All right, cool enough, I guess. Uh, playing around with some graphics, we are back with another episode of Give That Fan a Podcast. We uh, took the week off last week. Paul was enjoying some much-needed R&R on vacation with uh, some family. Uh, but we're happy to be back with episode 18, and uh, we're doing video now. So we're still not going live just yet. We'll get to that point hopefully pretty soon. Um, but please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Um, we'll have the link on our Twitter account at Give That Fan a Pod. It'll also be in the description for the episode on Utah Street Report, Spotify, wherever you're listening. Uh, I didn't know this, Paul, but once we hit 100 subscribers at that point on YouTube, I mean, at that point, we can change our URL. So instead of a bunch of random letters and numbers, it can actually be YouTube.com slash Give That Fan a Podcast. Oh, nice. So uh, go we'll, subscribe. We'll, yeah, we'll, we'll try to promote it a little bit, see if we can get some subscribers. I'll share it on my O's account and, and see what we can do. So we need to hit that that triple digit plateau so that or I guess not plateau, but one, we need to hit triple digits so that we can change that URL and have something a little easier to find. Yes, sir. Uh, Paul, the Orioles are six and six since we recorded our last episode. They took two out of three against Toronto and Boston. They lost two of three in Tampa Bay and they had a couple weird makeup games. I guess you call them one game series. I'm not really sure, but uh, the Orioles dropped both of those by one run apiece to the Red Sox and Cubs. A couple tough losses there. They take on the White Sox in the middle game of three Wednesday night as we record this uh, shortly before the game Wednesday. Uh, they took the series opener five to three. Currently, the Orioles are two and a half back of the second wild card and 11 games back in the division. Paul, do you think the division is attainable by any stretch at this point? Or is that kind of a pipe dream hoping for a, a 2011 Red Sox collapse? Um, I mean, they're going to have to, the Orioles are going to have to pass the teams in front of them first. And that includes Tampa Bay and Toronto. So they're going to have to leap from fourth place to second place just to knock on the door. And then what are they? 10 games back? Something like that. Is that what you said? Or 11, 11 in the division as of now, 11 games back in the division. I think it's attainable for, for Tampa Bay and Toronto. Um, the Orioles are going to have to go on a run to do it. It's not impossible. If you would ask me a month ago, I'd be like, there's no chance. There's a chance, just not a very good one. Yeah, that's that's been kind of the one thing that has been okay with me in terms of, you know, we've we've had the Yankees playing against a bunch of teams that are in the wild card hunt with us. And as much as I love watching the Yankees lose, they haven't been able to help the Orioles out much. And a part of me is like, well, maybe this is the beginning of some major collapse and, and the Orioles can make a run to the division. But the closer we get to September, we're not gaining a ton of ground. It, it, it feels like a little out of reach at this point. But Hey, stranger things have happened, so we'll see what happens. It, it's crazy. The one time you find yourself rooting for the uh, for the Yankees, and they're like, "Ah, screw you! We're gonna yeah. go lose a bunch of games. We got enough of a lead. We don't want to help the Orioles out." Whatever, yeah, man. They go out and they go out and have their their worst stretch of baseball in in quite some time. Um, but Paul, we'll get into some reasons why the Orioles could be and probably should be uh, better than six and six uh, over those past twelve games. Uh, but there are a couple of things I wanted to talk about first. We finally got our D.L. Hall Major League debut. It was long awaited. It came against the Tampa Bay Rays a couple Saturdays ago. It was an evening game after a night game. Uh, and Brandon Hyde put Adley Rushman at D.H. Robinson Chirinos was behind the plate. It got some fans a little frustrated because, you know, you have a guy. Yeah, I get it. You have a guy working his way up through the system with a particular catcher. Finally gets a chance to make his debut. He doesn't have uh, Rutschman behind the plate. And one thing that bothered me, too, and I, I understand that this is nothing to really worry about, but D.L. Hall and Nick Vespi are, are really close friends. They, they've come up through the system together. 
And Vespi was the corresponding move. He got option to AAA for DL Hall's debut. So I was a little disappointed that that Vespi wasn't going to be there to see it. Yeah. You've been a noted Vespi guy all year. So every you know, time I, he gets demoted, I feel we talk about how you're upset that he got demoted. It's 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 one of those things where right now he's just that shuttle guy. You know, hopefully yeah. the next day is the is the long one. But uh, it, it it he he just every year it's somebody. This year it's him. You know. Yeah, and I get it. Trust me, I I understand it. I'm a Vespi guy. He he follows my Oz account. He has for a few years. I saw him at uh, Del Marva when he was down there a few years ago. Tweeted about his hair and his slider. I guess he saw that tweet and followed me. And and we you know we chat every once in a while. So I'll I'll always be a big Vespi supporter. Uh, I hope that at some point he sticks in the bullpen. But Deal Hall uh, gave up five runs to Tampa. All of them were earned. Three and two thirds innings. He walked three and struck out six. Before being optioned back to Norfolk, he's now being used as a reliever there, Paul. And the hope is that he can be an important piece of the Orioles' bullpen down the stretch. But the Orioles have three lefties in the bullpen right now in Keegan Aiken, CNL Perez, and Nick Vespi. What do you make of this D.L. Hall situation, and where do you think he fits into the Orioles' bullpen? Um, I think he fills that role that Keegan Aiken was filling the first half of the season. Uh, Keegan Aiken, in my opinion, has been one of the worst pitchers coming out of the bullpen for about two months now uh, for this yeah. team. So I can I wouldn't be sh- shocked at all to see the corresponding roster move when DL comes up is to send Keegan Aiken back down to AAA for the first time this year. Um, he fits in – well, they're moving him to the bullpen just for the rest of this year because he's going to reach that innings limit and they want to keep that they – want, they want to keep him pitching without taxing the arm. Uh, making sure that he ends a year healthy and also ends a year helping the team. And the best way for them to do that, they think, is putting him in one to three inning stints uh, at the big league club. And look, the, the arm's electric, right? Four pitch, four plus pitches from the left side, uh, hits triple digits with his fastball. It, uh, can you imagine Grayson Rodriguez uh, coming up middle of September and he's given you, or maybe beginning of September? And he's giving you a start where he's going three to four innings, and DL Hall comes and backs that up with another three innings himself. I mean, t- tell me how amazing that would be. I think he, fits in, as, it, it, he fits in as a swingman. He fits in as an electric arm that can get a ton of swings and misses, and maybe can nail down some um, some critical innings for them. Uh, he's got to he's got to have better command. The, the command issues have been have been well noted. And that's actually something I'm going to talk about in a, in a segment a little bit later on in this show um, regarding D.L. Hall. But he's got to learn to throw strikes more consistently. Maybe he's overthrowing. Maybe it's one of those things where maybe he needs to take a little bit of something off. But then maybe you're risking the electricity there. I put out a, a tweet um, the other day where I said that Randy Johnson, in his age 26, 27, 28-year-old seasons, he led the major leagues each of those three seasons in walks. After that, in 16 years, he won... 255 games, he won five Cy Young Awards, three runner-up finishes, and a third-place finish. So, Not saying that D.L. Hall is going to be Randy Johnson, but if the if the Mariners had given up on Randy Johnson the way some people are talking about giving up on D.L. Hall as a starter making him a full-time reliever, he would have never become Randy Johnson. So I think that Hall needs to get, be given the opportunity to prove that he can learn how to throw strikes at the big league level and become one of those dominant left-handed starting pitchers in the majors yeah i think his role down the road is is certainly still starter at least that's i believe still the plan at this point but you look at the orioles bullpen lately they haven't been as dominant as they were at the beginning of the season you can attribute some of that to the loss of jorge lopez 
being traded to the Twins. The Orioles didn't do anything at the deadline to replace him aside from claiming Lewis head off of waivers. He's been up and down a little bit. That's not really much of a replacement, but we're seeing it now. Uh, Joey Crable on Tuesday night's game was thrust into that eighth inning role uh, because Tate was worn out. Perez was worn out. Both of them had already been used, had to throw a lot of pitches uh, to get out of their jams. And so the Orioles need another guy who can pitch in high leverage. And I think having DL Hall available to bridge that gap a little bit is is going to be crucial for them down the stretch mm-hmm. if they want this bullpen to stay fresh and as dominant as they really have been for most of the season so far. Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree with you. They, they're going to need some help. They uh, claim, today being Wednesday, they claimed uh, Phoenix Sanders off of waivers from Tampa Bay. He's had some success at the minor league level. They love his, um, I believe his slider. Uh, they, they really love that. Got knocked around the AAA this year, but he's not going to join the Orioles until Thursday, but maybe that helps them get a little bit of a bridge to gap situation so they can get DL Hall up here and uh, maybe give some guys some much needed rest. Yeah, and they've had success with waiver claims in the bullpen so far. They're all and waiver look, claims, right? You look you look at Austin Voth has been fantastic as a starter since he came over from the Nationals. So there's there's something in the water with this uh I don't you, I don't know how much you can attribute to Chris Holt or the analytics department, but something's going on here and and pitchers are coming here and getting a little bit of rejuvenation. So maybe he can play a role down the stretch. I think it was Zach Silver. I I apologize if I'm getting this wrong, but uh one of the beat writers on Twitter pointed out earlier today after the Orioles claimed Phoenix Sanders, his last AAA outing with the uh, the Rays AAA Durham Bulls. Uh, he gave up a solo home run. Or not, I don't know if it was a solo home run. He gave up two a home run to Gunnar Henderson. Yep. On so uh, one of those two guys is now on the Orioles 40-man roster. It's not the one we were hoping for at this point. Yeah. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about Gunnar Henderson. He's still down at Norfolk. Uh, they're shifting him around the infield a little bit. He started twice at first base now, three times at second base. Uh, I'm not sure where he's in the lineup for the the second game of this kind of continuation doubleheader tonight that they have. But um, Paul, the strikeouts for for Grayson for excuse me Gunnar Henderson have been creeping up a little bit. The walks have been creeping down, but he still has an OPS over 900 in AAA, and that's after putting up an OPS over a thousand at AA. What do we? Th- and this has been a huge hot button topic on Orioles Twitter. We thought it was going to happen on Tuesday. It did not. Now we're thinking maybe it happens Thursday. Maybe it happens during the Astros series. Maybe they're waiting till September. We don't really know. What do you think they're waiting for, Paul? I think you hit the nail on the head. Get those strikeout totals down. Maybe raise that OPS against left-handed pitching. Um, I, I don't think that the Orioles are concerned at all with whether or not he maintains his rookie status. I think that they don't want to call up a guy before they deem he's ready. And if they don't think he's ready, they don't think he's ready. Now look at it. We can say as much as we want about, oh, his OPS is above 900, and he's been the best player AAA, and he's the youngest player AAA by nine months, and this, that, and the other. But at the end of the day, Mike Elias and Sigma Dell are better at evaluating talent than we are, right? So, and I know that's strange coming from me. It's strange coming from me <laughs> because of all the tweets that I put out and questioning this, that, and the other. But I haven't been tweeting that Gunner should be here. I'm nervous about Gun- I want Gunner here. I think that the bats that he takes alone, the professional bats that he takes, helps deepen your lineup. But I don't know that he's going to hit much better than 220 when he gets here. You know, So it, it makes me a little bit nervous. I'm not nervous about his mental makeup. I'm not nervous about the fact that if he struggles, it, it might crush him uh, and, and might be demoralizing for his career. I don't think he's that, that dude. This is a guy who last year... 
Yeah, he walked 56 times, but he struck out 153 times. And it's almost a three to one strikeout to walk ratio. Uh, so what did he do in the offseason? He went and improved upon that, and he walked more than he struck out at Double A. Moves up to Triple A. Of course, it's going to be a little bit more of a challenge at Triple A because there's major league pitchers at Triple A. Um, but this is a guy to me who who seems like he meets a challenge head on and will deliver for you. There's a reason he's number one overall prospect in baseball. As long as he gets here before September 1st, I'm okay. I want to see him here, but if he gets here before September 1st and then he ultimately helps him make it into the playoffs, all is right in Birdland with me. Yeah, I, I get that as well. I, I, the, the thing that, that frustrates me is, you know, we, we put out a lineup uh, last night. It was the first time with Rushman, Stowers, and Taron Vavra all in the lineup last night. The one weak link with, with how hot Jorge Mateo is, has been hitting lately, and we'll get into that a little later, the one weak link in that lineup is Rugnet Odor, who started at third base. And I just I can't help but think, even if Gunner comes up and struggles, I think a struggling Gunner Henderson is a better baseball player than Rugnet Odor. Maybe, maybe that's a little bold to say, but Odor's been less than replacement level. I think Gunner is at least that. Yeah, no, Gunner Henderson is by far and away a better baseball player. Than, than Ruth Neto Dor. Um, the, the, the issue there is that Ruth Neto Dor is not going anywhere, right? And right. I've stopped bitching about it because there's no point. He's going to finish out the season here. Um, does he move to a bench role once Gunnar Henderson? Because you're not calling up Gunnar Henderson to put him on your bench, right? No, absolutely then, not. Right. So do you move Odor to a bench role and do you move, do you put Gunnar at second or do you move Arias back to second and put Gunnar at third? Because nobody's playing shortstop but, but Jorge Mateo. Right. Right. So the one thing I'm worried about is that Hyde continues to put Odor in the lineup and at the expense of Ramon Arias. Uh, that's the one thing that, that, that worries me. Hopefully that's not the case. I'd much rather if you're going to keep Odor and you want the vibes that he puts out, which is like 95 percent of the reason he's here at this point. Is the vibes. <laughs> yeah. Um, he can still give you the vibes while being on the bench five days a week and being a late late game pinch hitter um, or and a defensive replacement at some point in second base. Uh, I don't, they're not going to take him off the roster. It's going to be it, when, and if Gunnar Henderson gets called up, the, the corresponding move is going to be Tyler Nevin going right back down. I think we all know that. I think um, so. Henderson's a better ball player than Odor. So I'm not worried about whether or not he's going to play or not. I just wonder whether they're going to keep Odor on the bench or again, remove Ramona Rios in his favor. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I mean, I think when you look at a player like Rugnet Odor and we talk about the vibes and the leadership, I think he's the ideal bench player. Mm-hmm. I, you oh, know, I, I think you, you have to think of a person like that is self-aware enough to understand that a player like Gunnar Henderson comes up. Yeah, that's fine. I'm, I'm part of this team. I'll contribute when you need me, but I will be as loud as I am every day sitting on the bench. And I, I think a guy like Odor would understand that and embrace that role really you know obviously he wants to be out there playing but you know you got to give way at some point when the numbers aren't there and for Odor they're just not but we don't need to get too it too deep into well, Odor and but the, the thing about Odor that he's going to need to realize is after this year that I don't know that there's ever going to be a major league contract in in uh in store for him ever again this is a guy who's going to have to sign minor league contracts year after year after year if he wants to stay in professional baseball because you know, the Orioles, the reason they signed him is because they needed somebody to play in the middle of the infield, and he was veteran, like like league minimum, 
right? He was he was league minimum because the, the Texas Rangers were paying him twelve million dollars. He's a free agent at the end of this year. The Orioles are beyond sign, signing players like that anymore. They may sign him to a minor league deal with an invite to spring training, but he's not getting a major league contract, in my opinion, again after this season. Yeah, I, I think it'd be tough to find a spot for him as well. Um, let's go ahead and move on a little bit to uh, Kyle Stowers. Um, mm-hmm. We finally got a real Kyle Stowers call up. He came up for a series in Toronto earlier this season, sent right back down. Um, Paulie has two hits since his return a pair of RBI ground outs. He struck out in half of his plate appearances as a major leaguer so far. He did just miss a home run in the 15 to 10 game on Friday night, uh, the victory over the Red Sox, a wild one there. I was at that game fireworks night. I was frustrated with Odor because seven runs scored because he was the second baseman that night. Um, Mm -hmm. Granted the pitchers got hit around, but it was, it was his defensive blunders that caused it. But um, a, a fun game to be at. Kyle Stowers contributed that night with a couple of hits has been quiet since then. Wore a golden sombrero in the Little League Classic in Williamsport uh, last Sunday night. Um, we, we've talked about the learning curve. There's obviously one when you go from AAA to the majors. We saw it with Adley Rutschman. We saw it with a bunch of other prospects. We expected to see it with Stowers. We'll likely see it with Gunnar Henderson, too. What do you expect from Stowers as we, we move forward into September in this playoff hunt? Uh, anybody that didn't expect to see this, what's happened, happen, it hasn't been paying attention, right? The, the strikeout numbers were there each step of the way in the minor leagues. Uh, doesn't mean he can't be and won't be a productive player. Um, this is just a guy who is getting to know big league pitching. And the gap between AAA and the majors is huge. Maybe the biggest it's ever been right now. So uh, he's going to take an adjustment period. Adley Rutschman, who we all think is has become a superstar right before our eyes in a matter of three months, he had his early struggles too, and then he figured it out. I'm not saying Stowers is going to figure out to the degree that Rutschman did, but maybe it takes him August to get himself situated, to get himself figuring things out. I think he's going to be a productive player for the Orioles down the stretch, and I think he's going to play a key role in getting this team as close to the playoffs as possible. I'm not concerned about Stowers. All it's going to take is for him to barrel one up and hit it about 420 feet, and, and he'll be good. And That's something that he did a lot in the minor leagues. So give it a, give it a little bit more time. I, I, I've already seen people on the Orioles Facebook page talking about uh, they should be benching Stowers. No, nah, man. Oh, give me a break. He, he, it's, it's been a week. You know, just give it some time, and he'll be okay. He's, he's going to be all right. It, so I guess, I guess Santander now is the full-time or just about a full-time DH. Mm-hmm. Stowers will get some play in, in right field. Maybe we'll see him in left field on the road a little bit. Um, get him get him some some playing time here and there. But uh, he'll be in the lineup on a pretty regular basis. Not in the lineup on Wednesday night. A little disappointed about that. He was pinch hit for by Ryan McKenna against the lefty in, I believe it was the sixth inning in Tuesday night's game. I get the move there. I, I understand McKenna's been hitting well against lefties. Stowers is a reverse splits guy. He He's not someone I think you want to platoon. Um did you did you have a, a strong reaction to the, the the decision Hyde made to pinch hit McKenna last night? No, I mean that's what McKenna's here for, right? Yeah. And you, they, he, Brandon Hyde is known for over matching up, and he doesn't pay attention to reverse splits at all. In my opinion, it is always well. If there's a left-handed pitcher, I want a right-handed hitter, and you know I want a lefty in there against a righty, and this and despite like. Like case in point, when you brought your boy Nick Vespi in uh, to face Eric Hosmer in that game, that one game, that one game series in yeah. Boston, 
And Eric Hosmer's in 320 against left-handed pitching this year. And what does he do? He hits a 420-foot double off the center field wall to uh, take the lead right back for the Red Sox, a lead that held up, and they won that ballgame 4-3. to three. Uh, th- he, he is overmatching up. Uh, did not surprise me at all. And Sowers is struggling a little bit, right? So maybe he's coming up in a big situation there, and he's thinking, you know what, man, I want to put him in a, in a, in a position where – he can succeed and maybe a little bit less pressure situation. Uh, pinch hitting there, I don't really have an issue with. Now, if it was, if he's been, you know, hit to, the, to a 320 clip and he pinch hit for him with a right handed hitter because he wants to match up, then I would have had an issue with it. But he's struggling right now. You're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't, right? For sure. Uh, now, Paul, as we speak, uh, Ildemaro Vargas just hit a two-run homer to give the Washington Nationals a 3-1 to lead in the top of the ninth over the Seattle Mariners. We're doing a little scoreboard watching here. Julio Rodriguez hit a solo shot to tie the game in the bottom of the eighth. Yeah, bottom of the eighth. Uh, but the Nationals just took the lead over the Mariners' closer, Paul Seawald. Uh, hopefully they can the hold easy, on there. Mariners have the easiest schedule in baseball. Uh, oh, it's ridiculous. To end the season. It's it's stupid, man. Every time I look up, they're playing like the Oakland Athletics or the Washington Nationals, and it's like, can we catch a break? It, it feels like every team that we need to lose some games has just not lost any games. It's At it's all. frustrating. The, or, the Orioles lose. They lose ground. They win. They gain no ground. It's... Yeah, the, the, the Orioles played 500 baseball since our last show, and they lost three games in the standings. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. We were last time we did a show, we we watched the Brewers walk off the Rays, and and the Orioles were thrust into a tie for the third wild card spot, and now played 500 ball, still two and a half back. Yeah. So, uh, but while we were on the subject of Brandon Hyde, um, we, we've talked for a while now, Paul, about how it's it's been kind of too early to judge Brandon Hyde, considering what he's been given to work with and the mm-hmm. talent level on the Orioles roster. We're getting to a point now, it it seems, where, especially in a playoff hunt, managerial decisions have a much bigger impact. And he's made some calls the last couple of weeks that have been questionable at best. And for, for, on a personal level, my frustration kind of comes with, you know, day games, he's kind of throwing out, quote unquote, punt lineups, where he's giving multiple guy, multiple key guys a day off at the same time. Um, and it's it's really highlighting the Orioles' lack of bench depth at the moment. Mm-hmm. And then some some iffy bullpen management as well. But uh, you had some things. You texted me yesterday said, I would love to talk about Brandon Hyde. Go ahead and talk about Brandon Hyde. All right. So I don't know if people hate the things I have to say, <laughs> love the things I have to say uh, on social media. What I will say is that at the beginning of the year, I had 700 followers on Twitter. And it's in August, I have over 1,000 now. So Maybe I'm doing something right. Maybe a lot more people agree with me than don't, but and it's a loud minority that's that's striking me every single day. Uh, but I've gotten a lot of hate because of a lot of, of a lot of hate that I've given out towards Brandon Hyde. And, and we've talked about this on this show and on past shows about how people say the Orioles are winning, you know, so we should be happy. Sorry, guys. With winning comes expectations, and I'm not going to sit here and say it's. All rainbows and butterflies, despite the rainbow over the background that we have. Here. <laughs> I'm not going to say it's all rainbows and butterflies in in Birdland, just because the Orioles have a winning record. Yeah, they're six games above 500, but they're six and six in their last 12 games, and it's been 12 games since that 54 game um, since they hit the 54 games left in the season mark, where it was like, all right, you're playing a bunch of teams that are over 500, a bunch of teams that are in front of you the rest of the way, and you need to play your best baseball. And they've been treading water. Since that date, since that eight to one loss to the Pirates, 
And a lot of it has to do with Brandon Hyde. And look, when Brandon Hyde puts out a day game lineup and I say he punted another day game, no, I don't think Brandon Hyde is intentionally trying to lose baseball games. I don't think he's – that's such an asinine thing to say. He's not trying to lose baseball games. What he's trying to do is give his guys rest. The problem is that he's not resting his guys at the appropriate times. And so then when you have a game last Wednesday where you can sweep the Toronto Blue Jays and you put in the lineup on the same day Ryan McKenna, uh, Tyler Nevin, and Robinson Chirinos, that you're not going to win that baseball game. It's not going to happen, right? And then you field, you, you field a representative lineup on a Thursday afternoon game at home against the Cubs in a game that doesn't matter. Yeah, you, you need to win more than you lose the rest of the way, but it, they're not in your division. You don't, you're not chasing them for a playoff spot. The Cubs are in the National League. They're a floundering team. If you're going to rest your guys, rest them against the Cubs, right? You need to win the games that you need to win. And if you have an opportunity to win a game against the Blue Jays, not just win a game, but sweep the Blue Jays, then you need that representative lineup out there. You need to be asking your players for that little bit of extra that they can give you. Not, oh, I want to give my guys a blow and I want to get Tyler Nevin game, uh, playing time. Dude, it's not April and May. It's August in a pennant race. All right? You need you need to be asking uh, Austin both, hey, man, I know that you just threw six innings. I know you're 86 pitches. I know you haven't gone beyond six innings for me at all this year. But you've given up no runs and just two hits. Can you give me that seventh inning? Can you give me that seventh inning so that I can send Tate and uh, Batista out in the eighth and ninth and try and bring home a win? I, it comes down to competitive nature for me as far as the player. If, if I'm playing baseball and a coach comes up to me and he says to me, I need you to give me a little more, just a little bit more to get me through this game, I'm going to run through a wall for that guy because he needs me and he's putting the game in my hands and I'm not letting him down. And Brandon Hyde's not asking his guys to do that, at least in my opinion, right? Both should have been able to go out there for the eighth inning, I mean for the seventh inning. And instead, he brings in Crable, he brings in Perez. Next thing you know, it's a six-run inning, and the Orioles end up losing that ball game six to one, right? So then I look at the next day against the Cubs, and Spencer Watkins has gone five and two-thirds innings. He's given up one run. Now, granted, it was in that inning. It was a home run, and he gave up a base hit after that. But then he brings in Brian Baker. Uh, um, was it Baker? No, he brings in Joey Crable. Joey Crable gets the one out to get it out of the inning. Then he comes back out for the seventh, and he gets the three outs. In my opinion, Joey Crable's done his job. He has done his job at that point. And then you bring him out for a third frame. A guy that doesn't do that, you bring him out for a third frame, and he gives up two home runs in the inning, and you end up losing that baseball game, right? Then on Saturday, when they lose the game, he brings in Brian Baker in the eighth inning. He gets three outs. You have an opportunity to go win a baseball game. Again, Brian Baker did his job. And then you put him back out there for the ninth inning. He gives up the run. You lose that game by one run. And then on Sunday, he brings in Dylan Tate. Dylan Tate gets the last two outs in the sixth inning, even though uh, Dean Kramer, who went seven innings in his previous start and gave up, gave up just two runs, had gone five and a third on 80 pitches and one run allowed, takes him out, brings in Tate. Tate gets, up, gets the two outs. Tate comes back out for the seventh inning, gets all three outs. He's done his job. And then you bring him back out for the eighth inning. And what does he do? Against a left-handed pinch hitter? Why isn't Perez or 
Vespi or any other left-handed pitcher coming in to face him. No, he leaves him Tate, and Tate gives up the game-tying home run. Now, look, the Orioles ended up winning because Jorge Mateo is a god the second half of the year. <laughs> but he made the same mistake on Sunday with Tate that he made on Thursday with Crable. These aren't guys that do that take three ups in a game. It's to me, it is you're you're what 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 what's it? Um, I'm not. I can't remember the the the, the phrase, but it's it's. Cutting off your nose to spite your face, right? Yeah, is something that, like is, that. Is that what it is? Right. It might you, be. You're, it, it, to me, that's just, can I do better? Would I be a better major league manager? Absolutely not. I've never coached a team in my life, but I know baseball. I know That's why I do this stuff, right? Because I know baseball. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that you're making the wrong calls there. And then last night, and you talked about this earlier in the show, um... He brings in Tate. Tate gives up the leadoff double, but then he gets the next two outs. And then he brings in Perez to face two righties. And he gives up a walk and a base hit, and the next thing you know, it's now a one-run ball game, right? Why not let Tate finish the inning? He's had 11 pitches. He's thrown eight strikes of those 11 pitches. Let him get out of the inning. And then you don't need to use Felix Bautista for five outs. It worked out, but he threw 26 pitches, which means he's probably not available tonight. You don't need to use him for five outs because then you can use Perez the next inning. You can use Crable or whoever he used the inning after that. And then you have one inning from Felix Bautista. To me, these are no-brainer things, and he's making it seem so much harder than it needs to be. And one, the other thing, D.L. Hall's debut. D.L. Hall's debut, he was set up to fail. He was set up to fail because while he has four pitches that he knows how to throw for strikes and he throws 100 miles an hour from the left side, what's his biggest problem? Command. command. His biggest problem is command. So you take Adley Rutschman and you put him in a DH role with Rob, who's Adley Rutschman, who's a top four pitching pitch framer in all of baseball. You put him in, in as a DH. And you have Robinson Chirinos, who is one of the statistically one of the worst pitch framers in the league. And you have him catch D.L. Hall's debut. And he says, oh, it was a day game after a night game. It was a 4 o'clock game the day after a 7 o'clock game. We're not talking, oh, we played at 7 o'clock and we went till midnight because of extra innings. And now we have a 1.30 quick turnaround the next day. It was 7 o'clock, 4 o'clock. It's a three-hour difference, man. And this is what I'm talking about, where you need to be getting that little extra bit of juice out of your players. Ask Adley to, to make that start and then rest him on Sunday. Uh, he he caught – now, look, it's up to D.L. Hall to go out there and throw strikes, but you're not doing him any favors when you have one of the worst pitch framers in the league catching him in his major league debut. Do I think I could do better? No. I, I, I don't think I could do better. But these, to me, aren't hard calls, and he's missing them. He's missing them. Now, tonight – Amazingly, he's playing Robinson Chirinos as the only backup in his lineup, at least in my opinion, the only backup in his lineup uh, tonight. We can debate Ruth Neto Door to the cows come <laughs> off. Yeah. Um, and that means that tomorrow, Rutschman's going to be catching and he's not playing three backups. Ryan McKenna, great fourth outfielder, done a great job as a fourth outfielder. Should not be in the lineup on a regular basis and certainly shouldn't be in the lineup when you're also playing Nevin and you're also playing Chirinos. These are things I. Uh, and somebody asked me, what about uh, Tuesday night's game when you got five innings out of both, but you allowed ten base runners? Uh, to me, I would have taken him out of the game. But I had no issue with Hyde leaving him in the game because it was clear that the plan was as soon as you get you allow a base runner, I'm taking you out. 
But then if you're going to bring Tate in, you need to let him continue to pitch. Or not Tate, Baker. Um, or I'm sorry, you bring Baker in. And I was actually happy that he brought in Baker, got the one out, and then took him out. Didn't give him a chance to make you bleed. But then leave Tate in for the three outs in the next inning. I had no problem uh, with the way Hyde handled his starter yesterday. No problem with that at all. But these simple decisions, that decisions that look simple to me, I, like I said, I feel like he keeps missing on them. And in August of a pennant race, this is the difference between winning and losing. And this is why you're 6-6 six and six since that 54-game mark instead of 8-4 and four or 9-3 and three because you've consistently made the wrong choice that uh, a, a, a newbie like me could make. Now that's a lot to uh, a lot to take in. I'm not going to try to respond to any individual parts of that. It was a, a very quality rant right there. Um, I I don't think you're being too harsh on Hyde at all. Um, I think when you're managing a pennant race, and he's he's never done this before. He has never right. managed in a peasant race. And uh, you know the the one thing for me that makes it a little tougher to be so hard on him is we don't know how many of these decisions are coming from higher up. We don't know how much free reign he has when it comes to the day-to-day lineup. And I would love to know. I'm sure there's I'm sure there's some input from above. I don't know how, you right. know. I, I agree with you. I don't know how much Mike Elias is saying, these are the guys that we're giving you, and this is the lineup we want you to play on this particular day. But what I do know is that Mike Elias isn't calling Brandon Hyde in the sixth inning and saying, all right, get both out of there and bring in Brian Baker. Right. That's on Brandon Hyde. Absolutely. And it's also, you know, I think, you know, you talk about how, you know, you or myself, neither of us would be a better manager than Brandon Hyde. But these are these are baseball decisions. And when you don't have bench depth, you can't give multiple everyday players Mm -hmm. a bench day at the same time. It's just not going to happen. You're not going to win baseball games that way, like you said. And so, you know, there there have certainly been some questionable things that have happened lately. I think overall Hyde has done a spectacular job this season. But it's we're at that time where I think it's fair to question how much of an impact he ha- has had, how much is he helping us, how much is he holding us back? And you, you bring up a lot of good points there that I, I think, you know, if well, these trends continue, he might not be the guy who's here next pennant race. And, and, and let me be clear about this. I know he's not getting fired after this year. All right, when I say, please don't let this man manage your team, uh, I know he's going to be back next year. I am I, very well aware of that. So people told me I'm backing off when I say, no, like, no, I never said he wasn't going to be here. I'm just saying that I don't know that he's the guy that's going to be able to run this team to a championship be, uh, in the future because of the decisions I see him make on a nightly basis. And I'm also very aware, well aware of the fact that he has a legitimate shot at being manager of the year. He oh, really yeah. does. He has a, because he took a 110-loss team and put them on the verge of the playoffs the next season. And, and I'm not saying that he did that, but he was at the helm of a team that did that. So, yeah, he's going to be a strong consideration for manager of the year. But winning manager of the year doesn't really mean anything. Buck Showalter's won it three times, and how many championships does he have? Frank Robinson won it, and uh, how, 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 how many teams did he manage after the Orioles fired him? Another zero. Uh, Paul Molitor. Won it in twenty seventeen. The next year his team lost won seventy-eight games and he got the can. Plenty of dudes have won manager of the year and it didn't matter because they didn't win a win a championship. Ultimately, I don't care what accolades Brandon Hyde gets, I want championships. And he hasn't proven to me in a pennant race for the last two weeks 
that he knows how to get this team to that championship level. Fair enough. Well, uh, on the subject of a pennant race, the Nationals were able to stave off the Seattle Mariners. So the Orioles are now two games back of the wild card. First pitch uh, in Baltimore just happened a few moments ago. Was it a home run? It was not. Uh, A.J. Pollock lined out to Austin Hayes, and then Andrew Vaughn singled. Luis Robert is at the plate with a 1-2 count, one out runner on first. It's Spencer Watkins on the mound for the Orioles. Lucas Giolito, who has not been his past self this season for the White Sox. Uh, So we'll see what happens with tonight's game. Just getting underway. Obviously, we'll know by the time anybody's listening to this, you'll know what happened in the Wednesday night game. But alas, we are recording at this time. Uh, Paul, before we get out of here, uh, I want to talk about Jorge Mateo because Mm -hmm. there have been a a fair amount of dark clouds over this Orioles team lately. Jorge Mateo has been a ray of sunshine. And I I actually looked for a little clip art of a butterfly that I could put with the rainbow when you were, when you were talking earlier, but I didn't want to mess with the the video too much since it's our first time doing it. Um, Jorge Mateo, Paul has been unbelievable for about two months now. Um, I'll, I'll bring up some of these numbers in a minute, but after the Twins series in July, it was reported that Jorge Mateo had a meeting with Brandon Hyde and co-hitting coaches Ryan Fuller and Matt Borgschulte, uh, in which they kind of said, you're not hitting. We need you to do better. Yeah. Um, the result of that was batting practice full of sliders on the outer half. Mm-hmm. And it it worked. I guess it worked because Jorge Mateo has been on another planet since then. Um, he's been a completely different baseball player. And uh, I'll bring up some of these numbers. So uh, the date that I used. Why haven't they done that with Ruth Neto-Dor? I don't know. How have they, they not called to him and be like, hey, you're not hitting and we need you to? I, I, I don't know. Jorge Mateo has more homers than Odor now, which I think yep. is hilarious. Um, but so I, I used uh, June 24th as my cutoff date since we're recording this on August 24th. So that's a good even two months. Um, before June 24th, Mateo had played, lost my train of thought, uh, 64 games, 300, 231, excuse me, played appearances. Uh, in these past two months, it has been 50 games, 179 played appearances. So almost the same amount of um, game time, I guess, uh, in this this time frame. So entering play on June 24th, Mateo was slashing 198, 234 on base, 313 slugging percentage. That's a 550 OPS that had mm-hmm. dipped to its lowest point in the season, if you don't count the first like week where those numbers are always fluctuating. Uh, in his prior 68 plate appearances, he had just one extra base hit, which was a three-run homer on June the 7th. Among qualified shortstops in the majors, he ranked the lowest in batting average on base percentage, weighted on base average, OPS plus, weighted runs created plus. Uh, His 0.5 F war was tied for second worst, not worst because he's a great defender and has been. Um, 32.5% strikeout rate entering that that Mm. date, the highest by shortstops, the highest among shortstops by a significant margin. I think the next closest was. 24 26 percent uh and a 3.9 walk rate which again the worst among qualified shortstops yeah. the only among qualified players almost probably i i didn't i didn't even look at that breakdown uh, i probably should have but in any event the, the discussion around mateo was all right he's fast as hell he plays great defense 
And that's why he's in the lineup. But the bat at that point was non-existent. And we had talked about this on previous podcasts, a bunch of people on Twitter talking about this. Mateo's just not hitting. It's hard to take advantage of a guy with that kind of speed if he's not getting on base. And to that point, Mateo was not getting on base nearly enough to make a real impact with his speed. Uh, but, Paul, in the last two months, he uh, he has 22 extra base hits, which is second among shortstops behind Trey Turner. He has 11 stolen bases, which is second behind Bobby Witt Jr. He's first in ISO by a significant margin. He's first with a 543 slugging percentage. His 886 OPS is second behind only Francisco Lindor. Weighted on base average is 378, also second behind Lindor. Weighted runs created plus, 152, second behind Lindor. And a 2.3 F4, also second, also to Francisco Lindor. So, Paul, in the past two months, Jorge Mateo has been, by these metrics, better than guys like Trey Turner, Corey Seager, Carlos Correa, Xander Bogarts, Dansby Swanson, Bo Bichette. The list goes on and on. These are big names in baseball, and Jorge Mateo has been more productive than them over the past two months, which... Brings me to a question. Obviously, it's not a full season sample size. His numbers still aren't great. His walk rate is still low. His strikeout rate is still high. But he's shown that he can put together a nice stretch of being a valuable baseball player. The Orioles have shortstops coming up through the system. Gunnar Henderson, Jordan Westberg. They just drafted Jackson Holiday first overall. Joey Ortiz, Cesar Prieto, Connor Norby. A bunch of infielders. Taryn Vavra is already here, who are going to continue working their way into the conversation to be a piece of this major league team moving forward. Is Jorge Mateo, at this point, part of the Orioles' future? What do you think? Part of the immediate future, absolutely. Um, that, and that means next year and the year after, probably. Beyond that, that's a TBD. Um, the way he's playing right now, I think for the season, he's got a higher award than Carlos Correa. And the Orioles were rumored to be offering him $40 million a year this past offseason. He's going to opt out against the Twins, and there are people thinking that the Orioles are going to sign Carlos Correa, and they don't really need to. Um, look, if Mateo continues to play this way, he's one of the top shortstops in all of baseball. Uh, and he's a microcosm for the Orioles' season, right, uh, where it kind of started out slow, losing record through the first two months. He's a well below average offensive player the first two months. And in the last two to three months, he's just been on another level and playing winning baseball. Uh, Jorge Mateo to me is your starting shortstop next year. Gunnar Henderson's your starting third baseman next year. And if Westberg needs to play second base or Prieto or, or Connor Norby, whoever the hell you want to call up to play second base, I can, but the left side of your infield next year is Mateo and Gunnar Henderson. It's you drafted Jackson holiday one, one, Right, and you expect him to be here by 2025, if not sooner. And he was drafted to play shortstop. And they said that they expect. Now, look, when they draft guys, they always say we expect them to be able to stay there. They said it about Henderson. They said it about Westberg, and they're going to say it about Holiday. At that point, maybe you think about making a trade. Um, or maybe you think about putting making Holiday your everyday second baseman. I don't know. It's a good problem to have. Michael Elias did say earlier earlier this month that Jorge Mateo is a guy who's going to be in Baltimore for a long time, right? So I think that if he continues, if he does what he did, what he's done the last two to three months over the course of a full season next year, you can't make an argument to get rid of him. 
Maybe you trade him and you get the, There's a reason that he was the number one prospect in the Yankee system ahead of Aaron Judge. Yeah. The reason he was a top 100 prospect at three different times, and he's showing it. The, the speed is electric. The defense, and the defense is so good because of the balls that he gets to that nobody else can get to, right? Because I think he's made 15 errors this year, but he gets, to, yeah. he gets to so many balls that he's got, I think he's got the most defensive run save of any shortstop in the game because of the balls that he gets to. What he does defensively, what he does on the base paths, he's an electric player, and if the bat's equaling that now, you can't make an argument to get rid of him. So he's here next year, probably the year after, and then we can, you know, uh, rediscuss it after that, and we'll see where, where, the, where the dice fall. Another waiver claim, Paul. Say what you want about Mike Elias, but he has hit on a lot of those type of players. It's almost like he knows what he's doing, guys. Yeah, right? Uh, to answer your question about uh, his defense, I, I checked a little bit ago. He was somewhere in the top 10, not quite the leader in defensive okay, runs saved. The last time I saw, which was admittedly a, a, a while back, he was number one at that point. Um, so he is dropped off. He is 91st percentile and outs above average. So the defense is spectacular. Um, he's been a key part of this Orioles hot streak that they've been on, especially when you take into account guys like Hayes, Mountcastle, Arias struggling a bit, Mancini getting traded. Mateo has stepped up in a major way. Uh, Paul, we're at the 45-minute mark. It is my lovely girlfriend's birthday, so I would like to— No, oh, uh, old man been doing a show on, her, on your girlfriend's birthday. Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm taking her out to dinner tomorrow night. We're going to take it easy tonight, maybe do some painting. We have a, a one of those paint-by-numbers that we need to finish. Um, so maybe we'll, we'll do a little bit of that. Uh, I'll cook some dinner for her and uh, take I her out to you, a, a real uh, date tomorrow. I heard that for your one-year anniversary, uh, you went uh, <laughs> you went uh, to the bygone and uh, kind of made everybody else look like jerks. To their, I did. To their girlfriends we, and wives. I mean, what, how are you going to top that for the birthday? I, shoot, I don't know, man. We were going to do the bygone again for uh, our second anniversary a few months ago, but uh, she was sick that week, unfortunately. So uh, we had to cancel our reservation, but uh, maybe the bygone will continue to be an anniversary tradition. Uh, maybe at, at some point that anniversary date changes, but uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, she's not very good at making decisions on where she wants to eat. So I kind of have to make that call. Shocker. But yeah, right. I'll come up with something and uh, we'll, we'll do something nice when she gets off work tomorrow. Um, the Orioles are down two nothing heading into the bottom of the first as we speak. That was also the case on Tuesday night. Ryan Mountcastle with a three run homer off of Dylan Cease in the bottom of the first. Uh, hopefully the Orioles can do the same to Giolito. And uh, and come through and be the comeback birds again. Runs. That was a bunch of singles. Oh well, okay. Yeah, single walk, single, and then Gavin Sheets, of course, showing out for his his local family to run single. Um, Paul, that's gonna that's gonna be a wrap. Uh, we will be going live at some point soon. Uh, we are working on guests as well. Uh, I will try to figure out graphics. Uh, if any of you listeners uh, want to offer some help with graphics, I will not turn you down. Um, if this rainbow background is your photo and you want credit, let me know. I don't know where I got it, but it's been my laptop background for about five years now. Uh, but that's going to be a wrap for episode 18 of Give That Fan a Podcast. At the beginning of the episode, I forgot to introduce us. I guess it doesn't matter too much because we have our names here, but I was so focused on these little graphics, getting them right that I forgot to say, but that is Paul Valley. 
I'm Ryan Blake. Thank you, as always, to Derek and Tony at Utah Street Report for hosting the pod. We'll see you next week on Give That Fan a Podcast.